Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Fundamentals. We are uh, going to start wading the waters of sin uh, here in session one this week, talking about the sin problem. And I hope you've enjoyed this study so far. We're kind of getting into some more uh, familiar fundamentals of the Christian faith as far as uh, just kind of getting into a lot of application and really uh, talking more and in Christ and, and who we are in Christ. And so... Uh, Here over the next three weeks, we'll be talking about sin, and we're going to start this week with really two main objectives, Uh, and that is that, one, sin is plagued the world, uh, and, you know, so much of the world's solutions uh, to just our life and our happiness and, you know, our satisfaction are really aimed at kind of either ignoring or masking uh, this just sin sickness that invades our world today, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. And then two, we also want to see that we are just inherently sinful and in need of a cure. Um, And so later, you know, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about some more of these consequences of sin and more application points of sin. Um, But today, we really just want to spend the majority of our time really defining the sin problem uh, and further investigating our need and so we'll really end uh, our time together uh, and your times in your groups this week really just kind of hammering some key points of sin, some key elements of sin, defining sin, uh, and looking at what the Bible specifically says um, about sin. So uh, I think the, you know, probably more so than any of the other lessons this far, I think this illustration is really important to hit on uh, in your groups as we jump right in, um, and it, it talks about, you know, a question I asked my group was, you know, what is the longest hitless streak that you can remember, man? What's, what's that, you know, one of those really dark, you know, difficult trying seasons in your career where you just can't find a barrel, you can't, you know, you're not getting any luck, even on balls you're hitting hard, um, and just think about, you know, think about that long, the longest hitting streak, hitless streak you can remember, and think about just the way you felt, man. I mean, just trying to figure it out, looking for any piece of advice you can get, um, you know, just really down on yourself. And then also that feeling of, man, when you finally break through and just get that monkey off your back and just how overjoyed you are and how relieving that is. And, man, you feel like you can almost accomplish anything after you just kind of break through that, that slump and, um, you know, baseball is a game of failure. And so much of this relates to, you know, our own efforts in achieving righteousness and achieving, you know, victory over sin. It's a, it's a game of failure, uh, if we try doing this on our own. And so, you know, in 2019, Chris Davis actually broke the record for, the longest hitless streak in the major leagues. I think it was somewhere around 52 to 56 at bats, but actually 62 plate appearances, uh, 62 consecutive plate appearances spanning two separate seasons that Chris Davis failed to, to record a hit. And, you know, you know, the longer he went through the slump, he obviously went playing every day. And so this wasn't just like, you know, he played every single game, got four at bats a game. You know, this is about a two week span. You know, he starts getting benched. He's having to do, pin, you know, pinch hit at bats. He's 
maybe getting in that bad a game, you know, taking some days off. So, I mean, this spanned weeks and months of, of Chris Davis failing to record a hit and just so much media attention and, you know, is he going to break the record and just the mental battle he's going through. Uh, we can only begin to imagine just the different thoughts running through his head of just how to make the the wrong and his swing right. You know how to, it was. It was really clear there was a fundamental problem with his swing during this time. We've all gone through seasons like that. But, I mean, it was just a glaring evidence that there was something fundamentally wrong with his swing. Uh, the results were showing that there was something deeply wrong. With his swing, he couldn't he couldn't make contact. He was striking out a lot. Um, you know, obviously the results were showing that there was something wrong. And so, if we kind of start, you know, obviously it was incredible, just uh, trying time for an, any any athlete, uh, but especially in the game of baseball, going through something like that. And you know, we obviously can't. Maybe we can, but hopefully we can't relate to, you know, 62 straight appearances without a hit. But just thinking about our own life, I know personally I've received a lot of really good, you know, advice throughout my career of how to hit and, you know, some really key points that I tried to always remember each and every at bat and some things that would help me, you know, get out of slumps whenever I got into them. Um, And so this is a great, you know, conversation starter what are what are some really good pieces of hitting advice that you've received over your career and I think you know this would be good to talk about in your groups but the big the big takeaway for this kind of intro question is that no matter how good that advice really is how successful it may make you or you know how good your swing is how grounding that advice is that you receive your swing is eventually going to need fixing again and again and again and again, and it's never going to be perfect. Like You're always going to need to tune up your swing because you're always going to get out. Baseball is a game of failure. You're going to get out more times than, than not, and so your swing is always going to have room for improvement. And the advice that we get in our swing and some of the teaching that we get <clears> – <throat> is always going to be, you know, needed and good, but we're always going to need to be reminded of that and keep going back to it and keep fixing our swing over and over and over and over again because those fundamental problems just seem to always leak back in. There's always going to be something that's addressing our our swing that it, or is in need of addressing in our swing because the results are showing that we're still getting out. We're still getting out even more often than not. Um and so, you know, it's hard to ignore, you know, in the light of this, it's hard to ignore that obviously there's fundamental problems in, in the swings that we have, but there's also fundamental problems in our world, in ourselves. Uh, there's fundamental problems in our world, in ourselves. And and I don't think it takes too long, you know, for us to pause and, and look around and see the evidence of this. And so, that, you know, another good question to ask is, you know, what are some fundamental problems or some evidence of problems in our world that, that you know, that you see? Things like, you know, discrimination, things like uh, hatred between uh, different people groups, um, you know, things like like injustice and murder and, 
uh, disease and cancer and, you know, the list goes on and on and on to where there is, there is just fundamental problems, things that are just not good in our world around us. Um, and you know, that, and it, it's almost like as many problems as there are, there's an equal list of, of answers. You know, there's a, there's an endless list of answers that the world brings up creates and brings into light to try to like we mentioned at the beginning either you know ignore this problem in the world or um feel like you can overcome it in a certain way and you know a lot of these answers we you know that we've heard a lot you know try try this drink try this drug you know work harder you know make make a certain amount of money so that you know you don't have to worry about you know, seeing these problems, choose yourself, like do, do whatever makes you happy. Um, you know, the way you feel is right. Like all, all of these things, the world's constantly going to bring up to us, um, and try to give us an identity, try to give us a purpose, try to give us, you know, something that's self-satisfying so that we don't have to be reminded of these problems in our world and, and see these problems in our world and, and know that, you know, there's fundamental issues uh, in our world today and, and even in ourselves, in the core of ourselves. And so, you know, most often, uh, if we really were being honest with ourselves and asked ourselves, okay, are these worldly solutions, are these, you know, th- this list, is it, are these really solutions or are they only illusions? Are they solutions or are they illusions? And what I mean by that is, are these types of solutions only masking the underlying problem? Like, is it only just covering up what still goes on? Just because I make a lot of money and I've got a good family, a great house, I drive a nice car, doesn't mean that injustice just stops happening. Just because I'm not seeing it, just because I'm not paying attention to it, uh, that there's not hatred in the world and evil in the world and sickness and death in the, <coughs> excuse me, in the world doesn't mean it's not going on. So all of these things are just distractions and illusions to try to mask the underlying problem in our world around us, which is a problem of sin. It's a problem of sin. Uh, I compare it a lot to, you know, I, th- I unfortunately in, in my career, I think a lot of the times I was I was a box score I was a box score player, <clears throat> and and what I mean by that is, you know, I really cared a lot about what the box score looked like. You know, if I got two hits, I really wanted to make sure I was two for three or you know, I really wanted to, you know, make sure my numbers look good, my stats look good. But there is oftentimes a, a huge difference between the result, you know, what was in the box score and what actually happened on the field. Uh, just because my box score, t- you know, my box score might have said, you know, I was two for three on the night which is great, you know, two for three, had a good game. But really, if you were at the game and you watched me, <clears throat> my first at bat was a chopper to third base. I got lucky and beat out that they ruled a hit. And, you know, my second at bat was a bloop single over the first baseman's head that just barely was fair. You know, like that that type of game, clearly, like there, I didn't have great at bats. I really didn't have a good game. I didn't impact the game a ton. You know, I got lucky, really. Uh, but the box score said I was two for three. Two, <clears throat> two for three. Excuse me. 
the box score said I was two for three. So clearly, you know, I had a great game. There is a huge difference between what the box score showed and what really happened on the field. And this is kind of the same way with our worldly solutions. You know, there's a huge difference between what's really going on and what we like to pay attention to and what we like to see. Um, and so this fundamental problem that, that we're often blinding ourselves to or ignoring is is truly sin. Um, and, you know, I think it's interesting to see what how we would define sin in our own words, especially in your groups. Uh, this helps. I think this will help identify, you know, on the next page, on page 89, we'll go through, um, you know, some key aspects of sin. And I think being able to define that on your own uh, is an important step to just seeing where we may have gaps in our understanding of what sin is and what the Bible says about sin and, and the effects of sin. But I know most often, and probably the often the, the answer you'll hear most often in your 242 groups is, sin is either you know us not doing something God has told us to do or doing something God has told us not to do, right? Like it's always got to be an action, and it's always an action that is going against God. I'm either not doing something I need to be doing or I'm doing something that I don't need to be doing. And so because of this, we're always, it feels like the Christian life is this exhausting uh, effort, exhausting work where we're constantly having to stay in the batting cage of life to fix our own swing. We're searching for answers. We're trying new things. We're trying different practices and disciplines and uh, we're putting stuff in and taking stuff out and we're trying to be more successful in this Christian life and feel better about ourselves in this Christian life. And it's this constant struggle, this game of failure with sin that more often than not leaves us empty inside if we approach it in this way. And so we just we can't hit enough balls in the cage of life to the batting cage of life to really try to figure this thing out on our own. And uh, it's just this constant doing and not doing and figuring out the balance and, and what we can add and subtract. And so, um, you know, that's that's great, but th- that's not, you know, the, the way God designed us to approach our battle with sin. And that's never going to be a practical, sustainable, reliable solution to uh, address our problems on our own. And that's that's really where this, you know, illustration falls apart in, in our in our lives and in, in our, our lives as baseball players, you know, there often is a solution to fixing our swing. There's a swing tweak that somebody, you know, you, you throw the video on or slow things down and, you know, you're, you're eventually going to find something that, you know, might not be all of the problem but is a large part of the problem as to, you know, what's going on with your swing. And our, li- and our you know, pursuit of righteousness is not like that. You know, our battle with sin is not like that. There's not just something we can do, something that we can achieve, something that we can take hold of that's going to be the swing tweak in our lifestyle that uh, makes things right. There's not an ounce of coaching, you know, that can get us out of our spiritual hitlessness. Um, sinfulness is, is part of who we are. You know, it's part of our identity. This is kind of the second objective we're talking about. Like, we are inherently sinful. I mean, just sinful people. Um, and it's a part of just what we have inherited as people, as humans, that we are we are sinful. We are bent away from God, uh, not just in attribute but in action. Like this is this is so much of who we are, plagued and it's plagued us to our very core. Uh, and there's there is no cure. There's no fix. There's no swing tweak. 
uh, we are in this game of failure with sin, uh, and we are in desperate need uh, for for redemption, uh, for restoration. Um, a couple of your quotes there on page 88. Uh, all sins are attempts to fill voids because we cannot stand the God-sized, God-shaped hole inside of us, and we try stuffing it full with all sorts of things, but only God may fill it. John Piper says, Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all things. And something that's you know really, really difficult to grasp is that you know oftentimes in our life, Sin is uh, involves good things, you know, involves things that are not would not be perceived as sinful, uh, but it's it's pursuing those things in a in a wrong way. It's using those good things, uh, leveraging those good things, holding those good things, uh, valuing those good things in a way that is contrary to the way that God has called us to live and called us to be. Uh, and it, it, it's a that's a difficult truth to to understand. Baseball is good, but if we hold baseball in a, in the wrong light or hold it as part of our identity or who we are and cling to it with everything we have, that that's where it be, starts to become a problem. Same thing with relationships. Th- same things with with money, with with friendships, with um, with our physical stature. I mean, just the list goes on and on about how we can take good things from God and twist them in a way to pervert them and let them be a root of sin in our life. And so you can just begin to see the endless cycle, the game of failure that our struggle against sin is if we do it apart from Jesus, uh, if we do this on our own and try to find ourselves a cure or use worldly solutions uh, to overcome that. Um, so page 89 is really where I think a lot of truth and a lot of growth is going to come, uh, for your groups. You know, those first couple pages are a lot of illustrations, just really paint the picture of, of sin and kind of what's going on and that struggle we have with it. Uh, but there's five kind of key questions that you're going to have a chance to answer. And maybe this is, you know, you beforehand, you assign each kid a a verse to read and kind of bring something back or you, you hand them out, you know, in the middle of your group there. But there's five questions. The, uh, the five questions are, one, how does the Bible define sin? Two, where did sin begin? Three, who sins? Four, what does it look like? What does sin look like? And five, where does it come from? Where does it come from? So how, where, who, what, and where uh, is 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 kind of the questions that, that we're answering and um, just some things that we did in my two forty two group. First uh, John three four, you know, sin is lawlessness. So how does the Bible define sin? Sin is lawlessness. James four seventeen says uh, it's knowing good and not doing it. Uh, Romans fourteen twenty three, everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. Uh, and so you could really break all three of the, three of these down in, in detail. But we picked one. We just picked you know, sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And I thought about, you know, a mercenary. You know, we've all heard of mercenaries, you know, in school or just, you know, can think of different movies or whatnot that involve a mercenary. But a mercenary is really just a hired soldier. Uh, it's a hired soldier that serves a foreign army. So they, they were a part of an army, probably the army of the nation they were born in. 
and have the skillful training of a soldier, have the equipment of a soldier, uh, but for the sake of money and at the expense of their ethics, they they are hired off to kill whoever they're hired to kill, to uh, accomplish the mission they're set out to accomplish for wages and trade for a wage and um, looking out for their own desire. And, man, we are, we are so often resemble a mercenary when it comes to sin. You know, we were created good and created with great intention in the image of God, and we have gone off and lived recklessly, lived lawlessly. I mean, these mercenaries uh, attack their victims and go about their business in a lawful, lawless, reckless way. Um, we have so much embodied this idea of being a mercenary in sin we we live for our own good just as a mercenary does and we we pick and choose who we want to listen to and answer to and uh, what mission we're going to take and what what is right and what is true and what is just like we try to make that our own try to make that our own understanding and make that our own objective to to define um apart from god and so we we live as mercenaries um and sin, and our life in sin is like is similar to that um, where did sin begin? So, you know, we go back to Genesis 2 and 3, uh, you know, God's original command to not eat of the uh, tree of knowledge and good of evil, or you will surely die. And obviously Adam and Eve uh, did this anyways and were deceived by the serpent. But that Adam really, you know, there in Romans five twelve, Adam really set this pattern for humanity of sin and death. And so this is kind of where it began and how it continues on in the line of humanity is that this is passed down from Adam to generation after generation after generation. And despite God's commands that, you know, set his standard and set his character, you know, these things really help us define and identify sin. You know, we still rebelled and that has become a part of who humanity is that has been passed down from Adam as Romans five twelve talks about. Um, so third, you know, who, who sins, who exactly does sin? Romans three twenty three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7.20 I really like. It says, no one is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Um, I think there's just a, a really clear description there. And this is Solomon. You know, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, such a wise man who had lived and done everything, seen everything, uh, writes, you know, no one is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins and that remains true today um fourth what does sin look like galatians 5 19 through 21 there shows you the acts of flesh uh second timothy 3 2 through 5 you know ultimately gets down to we are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god and this is this is the the root of sin you know this is what sin this is how sin identifies itself and these you know you'll see especially in in here in question four of what does sin look like that these are, you know, sin is not this, you know, mysterious, only, you know, revealed in the darkness behind closed doors type of thing. This is, sin is very familiar, very evident, very prevalent in our livelihood and in our lives and just our everyday life. Like these are things that we see over and over in ourselves and others in our world. And so sin is uh, well known, unfortunately, um, as you'll see there, but... And then lastly, where does it come from? Uh, Mark 7, 20-23 puts it really well. That it, it, It's not go, what goes in to a person that defiles them, but Jesus says, but what comes out of a person's heart. Um, and so all of our sin comes from just deeply rooted in our heart uh, as a part of who we are, as a part of our makeup. 
and this is where it comes from. So uh, this is a great exercise you'll get to do as your groups uh, just to really define this and uh, really have a good foundation, a good understanding of this fundamental truth about what sin is and how it looks and where it begins and who sins and what it looks like, all these things. Um, but I hope that, you know, you and your groups can see that our world is plagued uh, with sin and that we are inherently sinful and need in need of a cure. Um, and I, I just encourage encourage you to, to not lose sight that, um, you know, sin is shameful and you may be listening or, you know, somebody in your group may be really struggling with the shame that comes from sin. Um, and that's a, that's really difficult to bear and that can be really, uh, discouraging to bear. Um, just being, you know, face to face with your sin. And, you know, James chapter one talks about, you know, whoever looks at his head, his face in the mirror and then walks away and immediately forget what he looks like as a fool. Um, and that is so true, but I also think that's exactly what we want to do. Like when we look in our mirror, in the mirror, and see, you know, our shame and our guilt uh, of sin, and just you know, really identify with how weighty and ugly and you know wrong our sin is, and and how we start applying that to ourselves, and just see ourselves in that light. Like we do want to walk away and forget. Like we don't want to look at that sin and be reminded of that sin and and need to deal with that sin. Um, but, but really just stress to your groups, like God reveals sin to us to show us our need for him, not in a discouraging way, but in a way that is, that is like, man, God, just thank you for showing me my fault. Thank you for showing me my wrong. And that showing me that you are the one who makes it right. Like, uh, our sin can be so discouraging and the devil wants us to just, to just neutralize us and that shame and that guilt and that fear and in that remorse uh, from seeing our sin. But God wants us to call, God does it to call us to himself. Uh, Christ does this in our life to reveal how good he is and that uh, we are, we are these things, but we're not defined by these things. And, and he is the one who, who redeems and restores. Um, and so in, in a weird way, I mean, seeing and knowing and reconciling with our sin and identifying with our sin is such a blessing. It's such a blessing that God is gracious enough to show us our faults, to show us our shortcomings, not to neutralize and discourage us as Satan so deeply desires, uh, but to, to call us back to himself, uh, to repent and come to faith in Christ that he is the one who who saves and redeems and restores and gives us new life uh, and makes us born again uh, as children of God. Like that, that is the gospel truth that we can't lose sight of as we start talking about sin and, and realizing that there are people who really are feeling the weight and guilt of their sin. And this truth is so important to remind them of that uh, in spite of this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and deeply desires to have a relationship with us and redeem us from that. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. I uh, just encourage you to keep that in mind as, you, as you're sharing this with your groups and even teaching yourself this this truth. Um, but, but thanks for listening. Uh, excited for the next couple of weeks as we continue to walk through sin, and we'll talk to you next time.